there's something called parts therapy with hypnotherapy and it uh it's basically a dialogue with yourself um so you get yourself into this hypnotic trance or deep meditative relaxed state and you bring forward the part of you that maybe is wants to be more motivated in your job or or bring forward the part of you that wants to be able to get your raise or or to get a promotion or whatsoever to give up a habit to change a belief or whatsoever and then you bring up the other part of yourself that's stopping you from being able to do so you know that part of you that's afraid of confrontation that's afraid of failure that's afraid of basically going outside of your own comfort zone and you get them to be able to have a dialogue without the ego and because you want to be able to come to a compromise you want to be able to live a comfortable lifestyle if you're not living a comfortable lifestyle you're not living a sustained one you know it's it's quite unfortunate and you kind of hit the nail on the head in saying about why do we do these things habitually it's because well we want to be able to believe that we have some order over things and by if we were to be continuously changing with uh, the flux of nature or anything like that we would be kind of out of balance so we need that level of order we need that level of uh, chaos in order to you know keep on reaching our potential but we're very docile <laughs> i like to think of ourselves as uh, big old apes that think that they they know it all but um realistically we're, we're creatures of habit we're creatures of uh, of comfort but we need to be able to access that part of ourselves that's able to help us become the most actual whole self as possible so i i never believe that you can necessarily eliminate something and and, and substitute it but you can come to a reasonable compromise with yourself Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Couple of Lattes with your host, me, Jacques Massey. I'm on a mission to give people wings and roots, and Couple of Lattes is a podcast designed to offer simple solutions to your perceived problems, empowering you to take charge of your life. Couple of Lattes brings powerful conversations with some of the most insightful people in the world straight to your ears. You can listen to new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on your chosen podcast platform, and you can even watch it on YouTube. Anyway, time to create some purpose and find some meaning in your life with this episode of Couple of Lattes. So welcome to another episode of Couple of Lattes. Today's guest is Kyron. Did I say that right, Brian? Yeah, so like uh, Kieran or, or Kyron or Kieran, whichever way. Yeah, so Kieran. So we were kind of talking before the podcast. I was trying to figure out how to say your name and I'm pretty sure I still <laughs> muffled it up. <laughs> oh, you should hear people. Yeah. But anyway, brother, so today we're going to talk a little bit about hypnosis and hypnotherapy. Um, I've got a couple of questions straight off the bat. First yeah. of all, are you secretly going to hypnotize me on this podcast while we're talking? I thought it was already happening in the <laughs> pre-induction induction. Oh, man, that would actually be a hilarious podcast to listen to. Man, so I think hypnotized. it was weird when I was showing you my watch. No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, bro, for, for people who kind of have no idea who you are or you know what it is you actually do, do you want to just give mm. maybe like a, a bit of a rundown of you know, who yeah. you are, how you got into hypnotherapy, uh, what it is you do now, and then we'll kind of kick on from there. 
Yeah, okay, cool. So my name is Kieran Coleman and I started up Thatcher's Therapy Practice, which is a hypnotherapy and mind coaching service. Um, I'm located in Ireland and that's where I grew up and I'm still living. Um, so I'm 22 years old and kind of like a lot of people in Ireland grew up with, you know, um, the old age of Catholicism and, and Christian upbringing. And, and a lot of people that I know kind of discarded it fairly early on into their adolescence whereas I kind of held on to it and kept up with my belief and that fell down and so I started then to see myself as the external and just try and create my own values which ended up not going so well you know uh, ended up kind of drinking and, and and using drugs and and things like this and it kind of brought me on a wrong path so when I went then towards college I was given this sort of ultimatum now an ultimatum which was fully deserved I must say like uh, by my course coordinator and I went to study things like journalism and PR and, and media and, and sociology and anthropology so like at the end of the day it kind of all came full circle in uh, in understanding how uh, you can be hypnotized whether it be from media or, or things in which you could learn from your uh, ancestors and things like this but I was given the ultimatum to do maybe five or six, I can't really remember now, assignments in under like two weeks. So I spent that time kind of just living and sleeping and barely eating, just doing these assignments. And I eventually got them done and went then to the course coordinator again to be able to, you know, try and bring myself back from the depths of hell. But four of them were good or, or 75 percent of them were good and then he came back to me and said like this one uh this one lecture had a problem with so that's it and you're done and that was kind of a really big kick you know a really big kick at that time and I didn't know it because he was so blasé which was almost the most surprising thing that yeah that's it you, you know your door's behind you and that was me done in university and it was mad so like that kind of then made me have a really hard look at myself and understood that the beliefs I hold and the prejudices in which I grew up with, I weren't, I wasn't fully free of them, even though that I'd kind of left Catholicism and, and uh, religious dogma behind. I, I noticed that I really had a hard time kind of living with myself. So that made me question all my beliefs and made me question all the things in which I held true to myself about the external world and I figured out that I really did know nothing you know so one of the things that uh, or two of the things maybe that I really hold true and I really do believe are two of the most important practices in which you can kind of implement were the two first ones in which I questioned about myself which were meditation and journaling so I've been meditating now for years but I got into it and it was one way in which I was able then to understand all of the ways in which I was upsetting myself with how I viewed the world and and uh, how I viewed others around me and their actions and such. And then journaling was just because, um, like many others, I was a poor, poor uh, timekeeper. So time is something that's very valuable to me now. And it was my first time where I would schedule, where I would wake up in the morning because otherwise my thoughts would be scarred and I'd be given out to myself then later on in the day for not getting what I wanted to be able to get right, uh, get done even though I hadn't a lot of the right amount of time in order to get it done. So that then led me to trying out this uh, meditation technique called Vipassana or insight meditation. And, and that was when I really started to understand that it wasn't just my thoughts that I needed to be able to observe, but 
kind of my sensations when I would go into some place that unconsciously it was trying to kind of give me a symbol as to a way you haven't fully kind of reconciled with this event or this situation or, or this person or such. And during Vipassana, I also then would ask myself questions. So one of the questions I remember asking myself was, what do you want to be able to do? Because there's this big void in your life and then the rest of it is opportunity. So you need to be able to choose a path. And it came back to me with help others, you know. Um, and as much as that sounds like the mumgo jumbo, and what happens is just kind of what was thrown towards me, my head, my, my thoughts threw towards me. So that then started me looking into different ways in which I could do that. And my uncle at the time, who was living in Australia, I think he's living in London at the moment, was a hypnotherapist as well. And I kind of started asking him about it and obviously very, very skeptical as a, as I was a rational and logical person. Like, and he came back to me and I respected his opinion. So I went to look into it more and then I started doing my own research into scientific papers and such. And I really did find that it was a, a really interesting new therapy that had some great intervention techniques and that could be used in the short term, you know, for people that don't want to, uh, go to the normal uh, talk therapy or just a ne- uh, normal rational emotional behavior therapy or CBT. It was a it was a different one, so I wanted to get in towards that. So I uh, put myself into the belly of the beast to say, as in uh, when I was drinking, I, I went and, and worked in a nightclub and pub, and there's no greater way to change your beliefs about alcohol than watching people your age and older change from really nice people when they come into a bar or nightclub to the, the really animalistic beings that they are after a couple of drinks and I end up, ended up being able to save up enough money then to be able to put myself through a course that was able to certify me as a um, hypnotherapist NLP practitioner and mind coach so then a couple of months later I moved home and set up my business in my hometown in my local community and uh, what better year to set up a business than 2020? Um, <laughs> well, yeah, uh, that's kind of my story. Do you want me to kind of go into sort of what hypnotherapy is generally used for? Yeah, well, before I ask you about hypnosis and hypnotherapy more generally, um, mm-hmm. I, wanted, I wanted to ask a little bit more about your journaling experience. Do you find, and this is more of a broader question of mm-hmm why you think it is so hard for people to get into journaling and more broadly get into this mindset of it being okay to have conversations with yourself. (laughs) Why is that such a block? Like we're we're able to have conversations (laughs) with other people, but when it comes to talking to ourselves, (laughs) it's weird, right? Mm, Yeah. Um, We like to think of ourselves as, as whole beings, as, as, completely autonomous and in control of, of all that we are but I'm I'm of the belief that there's parts of ourselves you know there's parts of yourself that do well in sports there's parts of yourself that aren't great and at timekeeping or there's parts of yourself that are completely susceptible to other vices or, or relationships you act a certain way in a relationship or whatsoever but for journaling um, the, people have uh, what I call the judge and the writer so there's a part of you that could free flow writing if there was no inhibition to stop you back or if you were not to think of uh, that somebody else was going to read it, which is what I call the judge. 
who is the person as you're writing telling you to oh no phrase it this way so it sounds a little bit more eloquent or, or sound or uh, don't don't no go back and change that sentence it doesn't sound right you know or or make sure that you put that apostrophe in there or something like this that stops kind of the relaxed creative flow that you need to be able to use to express them different parts of yourself you know mm, yeah so I, feel, um, I wonder i wonder if that's why so many successful musicians turn to psychedelics to uh <laughs> relieve themselves of the judge and allow the yeah. creative artists to come out yeah i mean uh the idea of sensory stimuli and being able to kind of either overload it or uh, or reduce it in in the sense of hypnotherapy uh, it can really kind of obliterate the ego, which is the idea or the person that says that I am whole, you know, that this thing has happened to me or or this mm. is why I should be outraged or, you know. Mm. Well, uh, let's, um, let's dive into hypnosis then. So I guess this is mm. kind of a three-part question and you can answer this uh, in whatever order you wish. But the first part of the question is what is hypnosis? Second part is what is hypnotherapy if there is a difference between the two? And then the last one is can anyone be, uh, I guess, can anyone kind of benefit from some sort of hypnotherapy or can anyone be hypnotized? Okay, so the first one um, when hypnosis, so there's the interesting story, like a hypnosis and hypnotherapy are, uh, are pretty much the same thing. Uh, it's the same process. Uh, I would describe it as a, a deep meditative relaxation. So clients that come to see me, one of the first things that they hear is that I won't refer to it as hypnosis or hypnotherapy. I'll refer to it as deep meditative relaxation because that's the, the trance-like state in which you're in is very much similar to that. Um, if I were to differentiate between the two, I would say hypnosis is, is stage and hypnotherapy is, is therapy. Um, as for other distinctions there was the scottish scottish british surgeon named james braid in the 1800s who kind of took the light or the torch from a guy called anton mesmer who was maybe the first uh, first guy to kind of introduce hypnotism even though he called it mesmerism james braid was the guy who coined the term hypnosis uh, from the greek word for sleep which is like hypnos or, or hypnos but um, yeah, I mean, can anybody, um, so it depends on kind of which way in which you look at, it, you know, so like a lot of people aren't going to really care for the distinction between hypnosis and hypnotherapy. It's, it's a matter of opinion, you know, like I'm so delved into it that I will, uh, I will use hypnotherapy in that sense. I will use the word or others are just going to use it blasely. I don't mind. Um, but can anybody be, uh, it's taught that, it's a voluntary process. So like what you'll hear a lot is the idea that anybody can hypnotize because it's basically self-hypnosis. I am the guide or I'm the person that kind of walks with you, uh, tells you where to go. But besides that, then nothing else. Um, there is a idea that people are more or less susceptible. Uh, there was a study done where they did an EEG of somebody's brain and they found that people with larger rostrums uh, which I'm pretty sure is a direct link to brain uh, attention in the brain. People that had a larger rostrum were more suggestible or they were more susceptible to suggestion in a sense. Um, 
whereas people with a smaller rostrum were not as susceptible. Now it's thought that 10 to 15% of the population are highly susceptible to suggestion, which is just uh, uh, what you see in stage hypnosis, uh, mm. where uh, it's kind of called somniabilistic, and then people are just very susceptible to suggestion. Uh, if you can't tell, they're the people, as I said, dislocating their shoulder, trying to get onto the stage, putting their hand up. Um, but in the same way that if me and you wanted to do uh, hypnosis, if I wanted to show it to you, all that I would ask is that you trust me. And if somebody doesn't trust me or somebody doesn't think that they can be hypnotized, guess what? They can't be hypnotized. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what is, a, what is a rostrum? Tell me about that because I've never heard that before. Yeah, so it's a part of the brain and it's directly linked to attention. And uh, it's interesting because you can either look at it in the sense of sensory stimuli, which is sort of the initiation phase or induction of a hypnotherapeutic trance, where you will lessen down any physical stimuli. You know, like it's usually done in dimly lit room and the the hypnotherapist will use a a soft-spoken voice or uh, initially or that you can look at it in the sense of beliefs and if somebody works backwards from their beliefs that each and everything that they've done has given this sort of consequence uh, maybe they feel guilty about it or maybe they feel shameful about it it's easier then to link that attention because it has more of an emotional reaction than the physical reaction of the sensation if that makes any sense so mm. it's just interesting then through an emotional uh, invocation yeah right so by i guess going the more emotional route you're kind of addressing the deeper feelings as opposed to the i guess the um resulting physical reactions of a certain suffering or a certain kind of blockage (laughs) blockage in someone's mind is that is that kind of accurate yeah so like if we go back to the meditation in journal and a lot of it is about understanding yourself so like the story in which you maybe are telling yourself and it's obviously good not to kind of lament too much about the past or or not to uh, be so much of a daydreamer that you're constantly living in the future but how you tell the story of your life matters and if you're able then to use that to your advantage all the better but what I try to focus on is the idea that if you want to be healthy, so say, for example, that somebody comes to me for weight loss, which is kind of a popular enough thing within hypnotherapy, that I look for what's called or what's what my uncle actually first uh, introduced me to the idea of what he called the problem matrix, where if somebody comes to you for maybe um, weight loss, there might be an underlying thing going on there, you know, like they might, they might not be as confident in themselves because of it, or maybe there's interpersonal problems or, or maybe they're being bullied at the workplace or, or something like this. Maybe there's something underlying as to why they want to be able to change themselves physically. Mm. And what's generally rooted there is health or happiness, you know, weight loss. And is, uh, way more. The, the, idea, the idea of weight loss or, or being overweight is kind of the symptom rather than the, the actual root cause yes. of, of the problem right yeah and i i don't want to um i don't want to waste their time i don't want to waste my time by telling them yes you will be eternally happy once you lose this stone once you lose this 15 pounds or or whatever i want them to be able to realize that what's not what's going to bring you away from suffering and what's going to make you more resilient through life 
is not the fact that you were able to stick to this goal, stick to this plan, stick to this diet. It's that you, you yourself took on the responsibility to be able to say to yourself, I'm going to make a change for myself and those around me. And that is, yeah, that's pretty simple. Everybody will put their hand up and say, yeah, I know that. Like that's going to bring me purpose. That's going to be bring me meaning. But what happens funnily enough is that it goes outwards then. Responsibility goes outwards and it's, it's not about them. It was never about them. It's that they wanted to be a good role model to their child. It's what, that they wanted to be uh, a more beneficial member of the community, you know? Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about, we've kind, of, we've kind of got into the concept of, I guess, hypnotherapy and, and how it works um, in, in terms of addressing the, the root problems and, and the feelings behind uh, people's kind of symptoms or blockages. And I'd almost liken what you do to, you're almost like mind plumbing, right? You're kind of removing, <laughs> removing the blockages from the metaphorical drain pipes in, in the mind <laughs> and allowing water or, or signals to flow again. Right. Mm. But talk to me a little bit about um, what actually happens in the brain when you do this, these kind of hypnotherapy treatments, like what, mm. what, what kind of, reactions are occurring in someone's mind when when they're doing hypnotherapy so of course we we mentioned the initiation phase there where i spoke about that you uh, limit the amount of visual or, or auditory stimuli in which somebody happens so you have a dimly lit room and you try to dampen out noise as much as you can so like you'll either have some music playing or uh, you'll have some sort of like low humming or something like this depends on the, the therapist but what generally occurs then is that by re, um, limiting the amount of stimuli that then is occurring to the, the um, client or, or patient, however you want to look at, is that all that there is is a communication between me and them. I am their bridge then to the outside world. And after that, then you go into what's known as a... Um, well, what I refer to as deep meditative, so like profound relaxation in which you kind of, depending upon the person and what sort of learner they are, you induce this relaxation over them. Mm. And that then kind of helps them to release themselves from any kind of conscious understanding of what's about to happen. So they're not hanging on the end of every word in which I say, they're not bothered by the noises, by the clicking uh, clock or the the cars going outside or anything like this. I and their soul kind of, person into the conscious and that's the idea of obliterating the ego so at that point then there's good rapport there's good communication all of these things so they are then more readily able to uh, accept the suggestions in which i put forward towards them because they know them themselves that they want to be able to do this it's just that they want their subconscious to be able to say to them yeah let's do this habitually yeah let's Mm. put this belief in place for the next time that this occurs and I'll come back to kind of some interesting ways and in how you can help somebody to be able to do that without, uh, without any um, behavioral work. But what's happening kind of in your brain is that what they found in when they're doing fMRIs or EEGs is that the amount of theta waves, so the brain waves when the brain alpha, beta, and delta, and it's theta is the one, funnily enough, that you find where just before you fall asleep or just as you wake up in the morning, 
for about 10, 15, 20 minutes, you find that theta waves are the most prominent. And that's very similar to what's going on within hypnosis. So it's, and that's what kind of uh, brings it out of the meditative trance. That you don't necessarily find that you find alpha a lot in, in meditative trances. And in theta, it's much more of a relaxation. And that's why they think that the ego is kind of being superseded to one sense or another. And that's why you can go to what Jung referred to as the self in order to, you know, go into them unconscious places where something occurred, some event occurred in which made, uh, made you hold on to this very strong belief about how the outside world works. And we can replay that and we can, we can play around with it, whether it be a dream or whether it just be a situation that occurred or it could be completely fictional, you know? Um, and then through there, you know, that release, that emotional invocation uh, can then, like a like a sort of religious experiential phenomena you know when somebody finds god or or they're on their deathbed or something like this and they have these revelations it's a to a lesser extent that but there's a funny way that something is called the post-hypnotic suggestion so when somebody is in trance there's a good chance that you will remember a lot of what's been said you know there'll be vivid imagery there'll be you'll be able to touch things and smell things and, and hear things you know it'll be very vivid as as much as you allow it to be you know but at that point you can induce some amnesia and not in the case of oh jesus christ or oh, what's he be able to do to me or oh god i'm not going to be able to remember a thing it's emitted in order to bypass any kind of conscious limitations or beliefs in which you hold that's that's restricting you from being able to broaden your awareness. Um, and you do that by maybe uh, mental confusion or, or getting them to do something so rhythmically, like a, not necessarily a mantra, but to imagine something uh, as such. And they will then act out that behavior, that uh, belief in a situation that occurs after trance. Um, it's been proven to be quite useful and beneficial in addiction. So for smoking and things like that, that somebody will be, uh, because they, they generally do feel as if that the smell of smoking and things like that is, is quite off-putting so that they could have a, a, a much more uh, concentrated response the next time that they do smell cigarette smoke. And, and that's, a, that's a great way in which to be able to tell yourself, okay, yeah, you know what, this isn't word, or to, to leave a certain situation in which would make you more likely to smoke, you know, out in the mm. pub or with your friends. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think you're you're building on my mind plumbing uh, kind of analogy <laughs> a little bit because I, I guess what you're explaining there it's a great is, analogy. Yeah, I think it works quite well. Huh? Well, you can let me know. You're the you're the hypnotherapist. If you hate it, you can tell me too. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I think for a lot of a lot of people out there, and I know I was in this boat a, a while ago as well. We kind of just exist and do things because we do them like we don't really understand the inner workings of why it is that we we continue to practice certain habits or why it is that we might know that all right if I eat McDonald's every single day it's going to reduce my lifespan and essentially I'm potentially killing myself but then we still continue to do the habit over and over again and we just never really bother to understand why it is that we're doing that mm. I guess what you're talking about here, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is a form of subconscious programming, right? You're going deeper into the subconscious and understanding what the beliefs and the triggers are that actually enable these limiting beliefs or these bad habits, so to speak. 
and through hypnotherapy you can then ask the right questions to i guess remove these limiting beliefs and then maybe replace them with more empowering beliefs is that kind of on the right track sort of sort of i i mean uh, everything up to that point is great and i do love the analogy um but it's what i what i like to think of it as is the parts the parts of the self so like there's something called parts therapy with hypnotherapy and it uh it's basically a dialogue with yourself um so you get yourself into this hypnotic trance or deep meditative relaxed state and you bring forth a part of you that maybe is wants to be more motivated in your job or or bring forth a part of you that wants to be able to get your raise or or to get a promotion or whatsoever to give up a habit to change a belief or whatsoever and then you bring up the other part of yourself that's stopping you from being able to do so you know that part of you that's afraid of confrontation that's afraid of failure that's afraid of basically going outside of your own comfort zone and you get them to be able to have a dialogue without the ego and because you want to be able to come to a compromise you want to be able to live a comfortable lifestyle if you're not living a comfortable lifestyle you're not living a sustained one you know it's it's quite unfortunate and you kind of hit the nail on the head in saying about why do we do these things habitually it's because well we want to be able to believe that we have some order over things and by if we were to be continuously changing with uh, the flux of nature or anything like that we'd be kind of out of balance so we need that level of order we need that level of uh, chaos in order to you know keep on reaching our potential but we're very docile <laughs> i like to think of ourselves as uh, big old apes that think that they they know it all but um realistically we're, we're creatures of habit we're creatures of uh of comfort but we need to be able to access that part of ourselves that's able to help us become the most actual whole self as possible so i i never believe that you can necessarily eliminate something and 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 substitute it but you can come to a reasonable compromise with yourself in mm. order to get better to it so like for example one thing that i teach people is the idea of detachment from outcome to be able to detach from the outcome and it kind of frees up mental space in order to think about things so you're not worrying about how something will go or the consequences of an action but there's more deep deep rooted idea in it that i, I took from um Taoist. where i said that in order to be able to achieve anything you need to be able to release yourself from the idea of right and wrong that why and and the the buddhists used to think of karma as the, the you know the circle of consequences their actions and by being able to release yourself from that or to release yourself from any idea of the consequence from your actions is to live a more calm happy life and I've been implementing that over the last two weeks over Christmas and New Year's and it's just been a whole lot easier you know to to kind of get back in the routine of things and if something happens to you in the morning say like you step on a plug or or you stub your toe or or somebody didn't do the dishes or something like that as you leave your house you can let that affect you you know because well yeah <laughs> intrinsically you are going to be annoyed at them, them things or you can decide to just move on 
you know, you can decide then to just put on your sock after you stub your toe. That you know that it hurts, but there's no point in, in crying over it. You can text your housemate and tell them, why the hell did you not do the dishes? You know, you knew I was going to be in the house all afternoon. Or you can just do them. Mm. It's up to you. Mm. The idea of choice. We have yeah, a choice. I mean, we have a choice whether we suffer or not. You and I talked about this before we recorded. Mm. <laughs> and it's a it hard one to, to uh, believe, you know? Yeah. I, I actually had a conversation with uh, a friend at the cafe this morning and, and I say I had a conversation, but I, I basically just listened for, for an extended period of time. She's going through a bit of a, a stressful period of her life where, you know, she has to go back to her home country and she's got a, a partner over here who's also a foreigner. And there's this kind of tricky situation where it's like, mm. you know, what's going to happen in the future? Are we going to be together? How are we going to make this work? And I guess the reason why I'm using this uh, conversation as an example is in, in essence, what you're talking about there is this, this idea that we all have where we either need to hold on to a past moment of suffering, like stubbing your toe, for example, or we have to live in a future that has yet not been written and, and, and mm. spend our time worrying about it. Do you think the question here, there is a question here. Do you think that, and I have my own theory on this. Do you think mm. that is a lot to do with our fear of just living presently? Fear is a strong emotion, very strong. Fear is very strong. So, yeah, emotions are powerful things. So, like, um, how I put it is, like, generally where I place things is in beliefs. But obviously you aren't going to go throughout your life without any emotional reaction to something. So when it comes down to fear, it's about, well, do you engage in things that bring fear along with it, like within your thoughts on a day-to-day -day basis quite frequently. And now with COVID and such, it doesn't help that a lot of our thoughts are going to be around fear, regardless of whether we watch the news or not, or whether we engage in social media and things like this. But is it fear about the present moment? Hmm, that's a good question. It's kind of a tough one. You, do, you don't really have, have to have an answer. I guess it was more just putting it out into the ether and seeing what kind of comes out. I think it's... I think it's fear that if we stray away from... Now, you're talking specifically maybe about... Uh, actually, no, I'm going to digress away from that specific example because that's dangerous territory in either side, you know, like... Uh, breaking up with a guy and, and not moving away or, or staying is it's quite a tough decision to make you know personally but the idea of fear playing a part in the moment i don't think it has its place in the moment because if you're living in the moment you're engaged in what you're doing so i think fear only takes place if you are living in the past or living in the present or in living in the future sorry Maybe that's yeah. what, what, what was your theory? No, I, I agree with that. I agree that fear and suffering only, and this is definitely my personal thoughts on it. So if, if someone disagrees, then all power to them. But mm -hmm. I, I truly believe that fear and suffering more generally, because I, I, I guess the idea around life personally is to 
essentially eliminate as, as much suffering as, as, as we can, because, you know, pain is an inevitability, but suffering is, is definitely optional and <laughs> being conscious beings and being able to understand the future and the past kind of means that suffering is, is easier to easier of a trap to fall into than if we were, you know, just ducks swimming on a lake. But yeah, for me, fear and suffering tends to live in, in the past and the future, but I feel like there's this uncertain uncertainty around being in the moment. And you, and you see this when people will sit down even for 30 seconds and you'll see their phone next to them. And you'll almost see people kind of twitching because they want to escape now because it's, it's a very uncertain place to be because you're just existing. So that's what I mean by this fear of the now, not that fear exists mm. in the now. It's this fear of actually being in the now. Mm. It's, it's a being very present. interesting predicament. Yeah. Maybe it is the, I, I'm not sure whether I have a, a, an answer for, you know, eternal suffering and, and such, but, <laughs> Um, I think we've been trying to answer that for our <laughs> entire existence, bro. Um, but I, I wholeheartedly agree with you that it's much easier to think about it as eliminating the amount of suffering that you experience throughout life or on a daily basis instead of trying to accumulate things which will bring you happiness on a day-to-day or, or life basis. Um, I think that's a much better way to go about things because it'll teach you more about yourself by trying to eliminate your suffering than it will teach you about others trying to accumulate uh, happiness by material goods or, or external goods. But the idea of, yeah, maybe it's that people are scared of or are fearful of being with themselves, feeling the emotions. And I think that like I could easily put it down to instant gratification and how how big a part that has played in in the lives of early people within this generation like um it's massive you know the idea that you were to put off long-term gratification for anything nowadays is almost ridiculous um but i think that it's maybe more so down to the idea that people are scared of seeing these emotions pass through them and that's a very important there's a very important line there where where i see a lot of people attribute them emotions to themselves that this is my emotion that this anxiety that this fear is me and that it isn't a temporary thing that like kind of like i speak about with clients the triad of eliminating negative uh, emotion. Now you can pick up semantics there and say like, oh, you can't eliminate anything, but it's just, it's, it's a nice and easy way to be able to say something. That you need to look at, say a situation, if you're overcome by a negative emotion at any point, you need to be able to go through this, this tri- triad and it will be able to help you like uh, any skill, the more you build it, it will help you in situations in which you feel a, a lot of negative emotions such as uh, fear or anxiety but they're amor fati which is the idea of love of faith that things are going on out of your control whether it's in your perceived universe of how things should be or whether it's in the actual universe uh, not distorted by your beliefs or your fears or your, your limitations upon it um, the other one was the idea of control which we've actually spoken about before the idea of uh, 
two things that you have complete control over in your life, your, your thoughts and your actions, your lack of thoughts, maybe. And um, the, the last one was the idea of um, MRFI control and what was the last one? It was the one we were just speaking about. Oh, yeah, uh, impermanence. The idea of impermanence, that all things are temporary, that these emotions are only temporarily passing through you and that they will affect your state if you don't let them, uh, if you don't let them go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's powerful. And I guess this kind of turns this, um, I guess, connects this little rabbit hole that we've dove into back to mm-hmm. hypnotherapy. And I can see the similarities to meditation in general or any kind of altered state, right? Where when you are in this, and you said like your brain is operating this kind of theta state, or I guess to make it easier and more palatable, it's this, this relaxed state essentially where you are no longer the ego of yourself. You, you're just existing. You're just there. And when you're in this relaxed state, you're able to see these things that you talked about, this idea of impermanence that, you know what, like all these emotions, like they're not me. They, they are just things that exist for a, a, a certain amount of time and how long they exist in my mind is, it's kind of up to me really. Um, so yeah, I can, I can kind of see the, the connections uh, back yeah. to hypnotherapy. I mean, it, it doesn't need to necessarily be in a therapy room that you see this sort of stuff like, Working in a pub and nightclub for years, I was able to see it in the way in which people used alcohol, uh, some to be able to change your your state or alter your state, where they were able to act more freely because their ego wasn't their enemy necessarily in that moment. It wasn't. They were able to act without any inhibitions. They were, and you see this at festivals for Christ's sake. You definitely see it at festivals, like where where everybody's loving each other and there's not but loving compassion and, and kindness, but that's what it realistically is that you're able to see things for how you want to be able to see them, that there is no barrier between you, the outside world and the self or what you perceive to be you is not there anymore. That's it's others. And it's this, um, this idea of community and that experience is all that really matters. Not the, not uh, the alcohol or not the drugs you've been taking or the, or the, even the hypnotherapist, you know, it's Mm. what you do afterwards. Mm. Yeah, true. True, true. All right, bro. Well, uh, I guess we could ponder deeply into that uh, for probably another couple of hours, but I've got some more questions I want to ask. Yeah, me. I, wanna, I wanted to, I guess, talk a little bit more about uh, some of the experiences you've had with, with mm-hmm. clients and, and with people who have done hypnotherapy with you. And I know you obviously can't talk about specific details because that's, that's very confidential, but maybe, <laughs> maybe you can share some of the results that you've seen um, through mm-hmm. hypnotherapy. And uh, maybe after that, if you can connect that to a recommendation for who you think this kind of therapy might be for. Mm. So, I've actually only had this conversation the other day with somebody who uh, wanted to know a little bit more, like a friend. And I've had some, like, one of the questions that kind of pops up a lot is, do you ever have like that one session where like somebody is just like, oh yeah, all, all life's problems have dissipated. <laughs> um, not really, but I did have somebody before who, who uh, came to me for weight loss. And not going to go into specifics or anything, but they only did one session with me and I was amazed. 
as to kind of texting him back and oh we organize or schedule this this next meeting but no 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 it's okay it's okay Kieran it's all right okay I mean was it was it that bad I mean <laughs> and uh, but she she came back to me and this kind of goes back to the idea the problem matrix that what had actually happened was I had given her because one of the things in which I look at immediately when you come to see me, it's not going to be like, how was your day or anything like this? It's okay. Tell me about your sleep uh, pattern and tell me about your routine when you're eating. And that's all I want to know initially, because if one of them's out of loop, then we need to be able to fix that. You need to be able to have clarity. You need to be able to have a foundation in which to fall back on, because if you don't, then, well, Jesus, we could do work for ages and nothing would occur. But one thing I did give her because she had had trouble sleeping was this tape that I created before for insomniacs. It was, it was for one insomniac patient that uh, that did quite well afterwards, actually. But um, so she listened to that each night, but it wasn't anything that we had talked about weight loss wise or, or confidence wise or, or anything like this. It was the fact that she had been using that tape that her 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 muscle pain had decreased to such an amount that she wasn't feeling the amount of pain as to what she was before. Now, I'm not going to go into kind of what was actually wrong with her, but like uh, that was causing this pain in her muscles. But um, it was really interesting to see that it wasn't necessarily the idea of, of, uh, of food or her relationship with food. Or exercise that was a problem it was the amount of pain in which she was experiencing on a day-to-day -day basis that she was rationalizing or had a belief around this is why i cannot you know hit this stage or hit this state of where i want to be maybe uh, looking physically or maybe emotionally um some of the other cool things was uh i got to work with a guy who was this engineer. So he would go off to different places and he'd repair things for people. And he'd spend a long time each day in a van, you know, traveling the motorway and roads and that. And it was smoking quite a lot. So we did, I had a, I've still had the three week program for smoking and, and weight loss in which we go through a, a three week process in order to be able to change how you notice things, your beliefs around them. and you know, the habits and patterns in which you get into around this in your day to day. But he was so open to it, which was something that I wasn't expecting. So open to it that he was able to quit in like just the perfect timing that everything went so well together that he was able then, instead of me, you know, telling him how to do everything, he was able to, to know us which is something that I say quite a bit in that noticing is the richest part of learning because by noticing something, it gives you then the power to be able to change how you want to be able to react to it or that, you know, you are your own best teacher. Mm. You really are. And you need to be able to get used to that. You need to be able to start doing that for yourself. So after giving him tools and, and methods in order to be able to kind of relax his brain so that he would, he would notice things about himself. He was the one who was able to change up maybe his habit patterns for when he was or when he'd want to smoke. So like the great thing that he told me that was he'd step away from the machine and, you know, he'd need to think for a second about how he's going to fix it. And he'd light up a cigarette and that'd be him being able to take his calmness, take his breath away, you know. Um, but 
he noticed that he could just replace that if he wanted to. He could just replace that with a suite. And he told me this, like, as I'm saying it now, like, you know, I could just replace it. And there was no barrier or resistance any longer to that suffering, you know, um, which is the very interesting thing around uh, hypnosis, that whether suffering is apparent and that it's just going to be in existence forever or suffering is just a, a, a rational idea that comes from resistance. Both can be necessarily true, depending on how you look at things. But, I mean, there was some great ones as well, where, like, I initially did some hypnosis work with friends and things like that, and was able to get to see that change on a one-to-one -one basis, which was fantastic, too. Um, as for who it could work for, how I kind of differentiate between the mind coaching aspect and the hypnotherapy thing is that... If you have a goal, if you have something in your life that is bothering you and has been bothering you for some time, bring it up in a hypnotherapeutic standpoint, you know? If you want to be better at something or if you want to be able to, you know, uh, actualize a part of yourself, as I said, to be able to be uh, more, uh, <laughs> I'm just going to sound rude, but more aggressive. But what I mean by that is the sense that you're able to fight for yourself. You're able to stand up for yourself. That you're not being looked over in your workplace, you know, that you're able to access this part of you that puts you in the mood for um, a sporting event, to be able to say no, you know, um, then the mind coaching is maybe better for you because you're not starting at a point in which everything's lovely. You're starting at a point where you need to be able to set a foundation for yourself. So like if, if the house doesn't have a strong foundation, you're going to be tiling in the roofs or or something like that and the whole thing's going to fall down because there's no strong structure behind it which is a uh, kind of linking back to the idea of being able to maybe see an opportunity in, in what you perceive to be a failure or perceive to be a tragic event in your life if you don't notice the opportunity soon enough it's going to come in the form of a hammer to the back of the head <laughs> yeah yeah it'll it'll catch up to you at some point whether you like it to or not rock bottom tends to always strike if you don't <laughs> <laughs> don't address it cool man so yeah i i, I guess in a way I, I can see how hypnotherapy would work incredibly well for someone who has some sort of blockage in their life but they're not too sure how to overcome it or even so with with any sort of addictions to to habits that may be um limiting someone or, or holding someone back from like you say a goal or or something that they want to accomplish what are, what are some of the dangers though of hypnotherapy because you know there might be some listeners right now going oh sweet i'm gonna yeah. lock in some online hypnotherapy random dude or ran random chick that they they've met online and i'm gonna give this a crack and yeah is, is there any sort of inherent dangers with with this kind of treatment first of all i'd say when you are seeking out mental health treatment uh to take your time to generally take your time it's not just first person you meet, oh, this will be a good fit, I know them whatsoever, or whatever these things. No, really search around, you know, like talk to three or four different people. Um, you might not fit in with how they want to be able to conduct therapy or, or, or how they view the world. And that might hinder your progress or that might even uh, make it worse, you know. Um, as for hypnotherapy, yeah, I mean, you could say that. I would, I would say like you could say that about all all forms of therapy, but there are ones that come to mind immediately. 
which are ones where you see hypnotherapy and court case in the same kind of article. Um, and they're generally due to what's called regression, where you bring somebody maybe back to like a childlike state or uh, uh, which is kind of generally done with inner child work as well or, or stuff like that or, um, or past life regression. Um, in which you go back to what is thought of as um, uh, you in your past life. Uh, but the, the danger is that, say, you had a traumatic experience in your childhood and wanted to be able to relive it in order to reconcile with it or to be able to move on and not to have it affect you day to day. It isn't admissible in a court of law. Now, it has been in, I think there's the famous case of it happening in the US uh, a fair few many years ago. But generally, if you are doing something like that, the regression is what I mean. If you are doing something like regression, the object or the aim of the therapy shouldn't be, a, shouldn't be to figure out who it was or what happened or who was at fault. It should always be to forgive, to be able to move forward, to leave it within the past and to be able to use it as maybe a means of strength, of resilience. Um, but when I, when I am asked about this, I generally say like examples in which I've been given are generally just due to the fact that the hypnotherapist or therapist might have done a bad job in that, the fact that well, the person obviously hadn't reconciled with it. They obviously haven't transcended that suffering and they haven't learned from it. They haven't been able to take the teaching away from it or, or, or it's left more of a negative impact on their day-to-day -day living than a positive. Um, so uh, yeah, I do see kind of intrinsic negative, potential negative side effects, but not in the way in which I perform. Um, I don't do regression. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess that that really does strike alarm bells when you when you're trying to revisit any sort of trauma in the past that's kind of mm. locked up in your mind. Is surely there's always going to be some sort of intrinsic risk that it could be a very negative side effect to to open up those mm. old wounds, especially if a person is going into it with the idea of anything but forgiveness and, and love for, for themselves and for anyone who may have been involved in that sort of trauma, because it, it may just bring them back to the state that they were, they were in during that time. Mm. Would you agree? Oh, that does happen. Yeah. So mm. that's called, um, an A reaction, uh, an A reaction. And I've, I've witnessed these when, when, uh, studying, um, and this is why I say that it's down to the practitioner. Mm because I've witnessed an Abe reaction occur and I've seen it rec reconciled. I've seen it brought through and I've seen the person way better afterwards and, and the change that occurred. I, I witnessed it, mm. experienced it. And it's, it's a scary thing. Trust me. Um, you need to, you need to be very much at peace with what you are doing. You need to believe in what you are doing on both sides. Um, because if somebody has an A reaction like that, and not A reactions aren't always bad, you know, there's A reactions where I've witnessed in, in my own practice where um, you could get somebody to open up their eyes to make a promise to you, right? You open up their eyes and you shake their hand and 
that's a promise then between you and them. But they'll keep their eyes open. Mm. And they don't realise they've kept their eyes open. Mm. But they'll keep their eyes open. Then they'll come out with trance and you'll ask them, you know, you never close your eyes again. And it's like, what are you on about? I never open my eyes. But in, ter- in, in terms like this, where you're going back to like inner child work, the aim is generally to be able to tell your younger self that everything's okay, that you have survived this much, you have got to this point in life that you've adopted these sorts of responsibility. Maybe you have a family now, you have a job and such. That's okay. And they need to be able to say that to themselves because there's a barrier in between them. It's, it's generally the ego, you know, or, mm. or maybe in, in some deeper cases, it's, it's the persona itself. But yeah, you need to be bought ready. And that's why I bring things back to like perception, action, belief, you know, value, because whether you're working up from a perceptual point of view or whether you're working backwards from a value point of view, all of them need to kind of align. If that person's belief is out of place, then it, it just won't end well in any form of therapy. Mm-hmm. So there's almost there's almost a state that a person needs to be in that they're they're prepared to, um, I guess, not only open up but to to change the way they they view things and to change the way they think and see things more objectively than be be stuck in this kind of state of suffering so to speak yeah the the old buddhist thing of empty your cup you know the yeah. the guy comes to ask the, the zen master to teach him everything in which he knows and he asks him if he wants a cup of tea he said yeah, yeah yeah please so he puts out his cup and the zen master keeps on pouring and pouring and until the water or tea is is overflowing from the cup and he drops it and he's like why did you do that and it's like you aren't ready you aren't ready to open up your views upon the world. You're, you're so stringent in the way in which you look at things that you aren't ready to understand. And it's the same about us, you know, like we, we fall in love with our, the rationality of our own beliefs, the way in which we see the world. And the only cure to that is to seek out, well, there's two really, there's to open up your mind by seeking out different pieces of information across the globe, whether that be culturally, philosophically, religion, or, or else or you look up um, differing views you look up the opposing views to the ones in which you hold yourself because it's going to attack you you know your ego is going to get annoyed when it sees somebody uh, disagreeing with you or, or putting across the exact opposite point that you are but it'll ultimately make you better and that's where we get to the emotional stage you know so like if you have so much pride in a, in a rationality or line of thinking or ideology in which you hold when that is maybe proven wrong to you or there's a falsehood in it that you overlooked, you have two choices. You can follow that path. You can follow the, from the source of pride and go to the end and end your pathway with, with guilt or shame, which you'll feel then afterwards. And, and that will obviously cause another uh, chain reaction the next time that occurs the same way with fear. Or you can hop off the path when that's pointed out to you. You can hop off the path and you can embrace humility. Mm. And once you've embraced humility, once you are able to laugh at yourself, to laugh at what you overlooked or, or to laugh at, maybe you were in such a hurried state, a rushed state that you, <laughs> you laugh at the fact that even though that you were so hurried, it actually made it longer for you to be able to get to where you wanted to be at. Mm. Powerful. 
ego is the enemy, as Ryan Holiday says, and it sounds like hypnotherapy <laughs> not only makes ego your friend, but also pacifies the ego so you can mm. get on to that different path. Well, um, bro, I think that's that's all I want to know so far about hypnotherapy. I'm sure I'm going to have a bit <laughs> more questions. Scared. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm really excited, bro. This is this is fascinating stuff. I'd, I'd love to um, do a session with you one day. Maybe you can um, do some mind plumbing on me. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds but, good. Uh, brother let's move into the four and one so four questions mm -hmm. for you you get one for me and then uh after that i'll i'll get your details out to the ether and if anyone wants to message you or maybe follow you or maybe get in contact to try a bit of hypnotherapy themselves they can do so how's that sound great yeah just to connect maybe show me uh show me why i'm uh I'm bringing out all the angels and demons, as I've been told before. <laughs> <laughs> nice, bro. You're kind of like Constantine. <laughs> all right, brother. So these ones are a little bit, little bit more chill. Um, some of these questions are, I guess, a little bit deeper, but then a couple of them are kind of funny ones. I just love to hear your answer for. So, so the first one is a bit of a funny one, and I'd love to know if you've even thought about this, but who would you <laughs> most want to hypnotize? Oh, that's a good question. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Who will I most like to hypnotize? Alive, yeah? It can be alive or dead. Just because I think it would be the most fascinating psyche. Well, actually, no. Then no. Maybe not most fascinating psyche, but I would love to see if I could hypnotize Hunter S. Thompson. Hunter S. Thompson. Who is Hunter S. Thompson? Uh, have you ever seen the film Fear and Loading in Las Vegas? Yes. That's Hunter S. Thompson. The guy That's who wrote book. it. He wrote. Yeah, but Johnny Depp is playing Hunter in that. That um, uh, uh, I can't remember the, the name in which he goes under in it. Oh, damn it. But um, that, they are kind of uh, plays. So like he was writing for for Rolling Stone magazine, I think maybe at the time where he had to uh, cover the the Nevada 500, I think it was. Fascinating. Yeah, that would be I'd love to do that, yeah. All right, next one for you. Uh, your top three book recommendations. And one of those okay. book recommendations has to be a fiction. Okay, okay. Um, so the first one that I would recommend I think I'll go with the fictional one first because it is my all-time favorite book and I'll return to it uh, at least once every year. And it has to be um, Ernest Hemingway's The Old Man in the Sea. I, I love that book. The Old Man in the City? Old Man in the Sea. In the Sea. In the Sea, yeah. It's uh, for any, any people that are uh, fans of Hemingway. It's just a it's great book. It's so simple. It's such a simple story, but it's, it's, it's fantastic. Um, the second one, I'd have to say, there's this book called, and I read it years ago when I when I first studied uh, journalism. But it's it's weird how this book has I've learned something from it each time that I've reread it over the years. After I've learned some more, maybe about media or, or media analysis or even or even hypnosis, it's a uh, Tim Wu. The Attentioned Merchant. The Attentioned Merchant. 
yeah, the attention merchant. What's it about? It's just it goes back to um, goes back to the original sort of first part of advertising. So it begins in talking about sort of across America, the snake oil salesman, and which I, if we try to derive from, um, or the the first stages of advertising and how it was affecting people in publications, and he goes up and moves through throughout America, like uh, throughout the years, and gets up to like um, to broadcasting and, and journalism in, in the new age. But what I uh, and what I said recently to a friend was that I found it very funny that that was so it's it's so really um encapsulating you know to read but it's it's almost moot now with what's going on in social media that's such a shame you know mm-hmm. social um, media is or the internet more broadly is just such a great disruptor of everything isn't it <laughs> <laughs> well as uh, i seen um, a great quote the other day of uh, that fire would be the ultimate thing that would bring down humanity. And it's like, whether you want to think about that in, in consciousness or technology or however, I always found that really interesting. Um, I'm looking now between a couple. But... So I mentioned earlier Vipassana meditation. And it's generally, you know, kept to people that study it or kept the people that have gone to retreats about it or such but there's this guy called sn goenka now i may be butchering his last name and i'm sorry if i am tani any deep vipassana people out there but he was a layman and he came across this sort of meditation and he went to try and provide it to as many people as he could and he succeeded and he, he became so famous afterwards and he's one of the most renowned meditators now um, but it's the art of living in Vipassana meditation yeah, it's just it's fantastic um, it's, it's just it's so good like it, it kind of goes into the idea of because obviously um, Buddhism is dialectic and there's no real formula in which to follow besides the four noble truths and eightfold path but it really talks about your conditioning and and how your conditioning then is is just basically the root of your suffering in some senses whether you crave evade or or are ignorant of something and Mm. and then it goes on and talks about how after somebody has mastered maybe the discipline or concentration in order to move forward within the meditation of vipassana they need to be able then to understand their sensations, as as I alluded to earlier on. Um, but it's I, I, if everybody read that book, I think there'd be a lot more love and compassion and understanding in this moment. Awesome. Yeah, great suggestion. Those are all going on my book list. <laughs> mm. Cool. And for, for anyone who wants links to those books, they'll be in the in the write-up below in the in the little info section. Um, next question for you, bro. I've got two more, then it's yours. This one's a bit of a deeper one. Um, so feel free to open up as much as you feel comfortable. But what was the greatest suffering that you've ex- experienced so far, I guess, in your life? And how did you choose to overcome that? Mm. So by suffering, I'm going to, 
I'm going to uh, find my own is in the sense of when everything was looking bleak, when everything was looking dark in a, in a symbolic or yeah, in a symbolic sense as well as much of a literal sense. I was, I was the lowest in, in, in I'd been and the things weren't looking up on, in any front, you know, um, uh, in any sense, things weren't looking up after I, uh, I was given the ultimatum and I, I left university. Um, you know, falling completely flat on your face in the cave, being completely blind and, and haphazardly kind of walking through. But I, it was the time in which I was fully confronted with what I'd been avoiding my entire adolescence and early adulthood, which was the idea of adopting any sort of responsibility for what had occurred to me or what will occur to me within the future based off of my actions. And that's what then in turn caused me to reevaluate how I interpreted situations, how I thought about things, what I had previously dismissed as religious dogma or, or any of these other things. And it was then able to differentiate myself from this limited perceived universe in which I was living in to one where I was able to live more presently to understand what I was doing in that moment and how it would affect me later on in my life. Mm. Awesome, bro. Thanks for sharing that. Last one for you and then you get one for me. This one's a, a tricky one, bro. Mm -hmm. Would you rather would you rather live on Mars or in the ocean? Oh. So you've got a, a Mars colony or an ocean colony. Which one do you choose? I think I'm gonna go ocean colony. Ocean colony all day. Just relaxing, listening to I wouldn't be able to hear the whale noises through the place in which I was living in, so I'd probably play whale noises on my Spotify just to be able to see as well. Hopefully Spotify works down there. I'm sure they'd have some. <laughs> Maybe it's called Poor something. coverage. I've only got one bar. Oh, no. <laughs> cool, bro. That, well, that's it. You've got uh, one question for me, and then we'll get your details for anyone listening in. Okay, okay. So throughout the day, like, loads were going through my head. And I was trying to decide on whether to go for a funny or serious one for you. But I decided in the end to go for a semi-serious one. I mean, it's fun, all the same. But may may cause you to use uh, some forward thinking. I know, and I know you've, you've travelled a little bit, right? Yes. Or not a little bit, you've actually travelled quite a bit. A decent amount, yeah. <laughs> if the next place in which you were to travel to was to be your last. Where would you choose and why? Oh, that's a really tough question. That's a hard question. Because <laughs> like, get back my own. <laughs> yeah, well, my, my girlfriend lives in Brazil, but then my family's in New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> and then my brother is here so you're, you're asking me to choose between three loved ones you said it not me <laughs> you know what you know what actually i'm gonna i'm gonna choose something completely different if the last place i was to travel so i knew that my end was coming 
or that just maybe there was another uh, another COVID twenty, and it just restricted all movement for the rest of your life. <laughs> I'd go to the top of Mount Everest. Okay. Okay. Somewhere completely well, different because I've always wanted to go to Nepal. I think it's an incredibly spiritual yeah. place. And I feel like the mountains is something that's always called me my entire life. I love being in the mountains. And also the fact that I'd have to choose between, you know, family, <laughs> partner, brother, I'd, I'd rather just, just go somewhere and be with myself. <laughs> You'd be the first person to become enlightened under Everest, at least. <laughs> I think, I think there's a few people that have become enlightened in the mountains bro <laughs> you're so close to death like think about it there's there's nothing else you can possibly think about and if if you've ever like i, I used to be a whitewater kayaker and i used to be mm. a mountaineer and there is nothing else you're thinking about in those moments than your own mortality and it's so infinitely present more so than any meditation i've done before is being wow. in a situation where you are directly confronted with your own death that is fascinating. There's a, there's a really good book uh, at the podcast I, I just recently released with my friend Jason. Uh, he recommends it as well. It's called Touching the Void. It's a good, okay. one to, good one to look into. I think the book itself is quite expensive, but I have a feeling there's a couple of little, little docos on it. But it kind of explains the, the mindset you're in when you're in these situations. Mm. I think it's, it's something that might fascinate you. On that note as well, I was uh, I was deciding upon. There's a very interesting one that you might be interested in called Endurance mm -hmm. uh, by Ernest Shackleton, or it's, it's maybe the story of Ernest Shackleton. Yeah, it's right. a story of these guys who their ship crashed uh, in the North or South Pole. Yeah, and it's their story this. of surviving. But it's, uh, to that, that to that same degree of not living in any sort form of comfort, but being able to use your inner resilience and control to be able to change how things are on the external and even with individuals that you are is it's fascinating. And you see that in um, with uh, uh, prisoners of war as well, fascinating. Alrighty, bro. Well, I think that that's it for today's conversation. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. It's been it's Thank been you, really amazing, bro. You're you're a super intelligent dude, and and I'm sure we're going to have many philosophical conversations in the future. Hopefully, in person. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see once we get our little COVID passports, whether we can travel. <laughs> but um, I have my <laughs> yeah yeah. I have my microchip for. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends which conspiracy theory you want to believe. <laughs> There's so many of them out there. Uh, but hey, people can believe whatever they want to believe. Uh, yeah. But bro, where can people get a hold of you? So if, sure. if someone wants to maybe just message you or is interested in hypnotherapy or maybe they just want to follow your, your journey and get a little bit of inspiration yeah. or a little bit of understanding, what are the best uh, forms for them to contact you? So the best way in which to be able to contact me, whether you just want to be able to connect, talk, or you're actually interested in being able to engage in some either hypnotherapy or mind coaching over online, the best two places to be able to find me are on Instagram and on Facebook. Both are under Tatcher's Therapy Practice. That's T-H-A-T-C-H-E-R-S Therapy Practice. Uh, not unlike Maggie, more tattoos 
Cool, bro. Yeah, um, yeah so I'll, I'll put those uh, links in the description in the little bio below. So if anyone does want to get, mm -hmm. a, get a hold of K-Run, they, they can. And yeah, thanks so much, bro. I've, I've really appreciated this chat and I'm glad we finally got to record it. It's, it's been a couple <laughs> of, a few failed attempts now, so we've done it. We were able to do it in the end. That's all that matters. <laughs> and thank you, dude. I really appreciate it. That's been a really good journey. It's been a really nice talk. Hello again, friend. Thanks for listening to the entirety of that episode. I truly appreciate you tuning in. Uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe on whatever platform you're using. And if you're using Apple Podcasts, huge favor to ask you. Can you please leave a five-star rating, leave a comment, leave a review, and be sure to share this with anyone in your life that you think it'll impact positively. Uh, each and every rating and, the, and review that we get on Apple Podcasts helps beat the algorithm and get the podcast out to more people. And I think these conversations are worth sharing. So thanks once again, and we'll see you in the next episode of Couple of Lattes.